Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. Many of you who have listened on different occasions know Charles Spurgeon is one of my favorite preachers. And I'm going to read a little bit about his early life and his salvation experience from the One Year Christian History book by Michael and Sharon Rustin. Charles Spurgeon was born in Kelvedon, Essex, England in 1834 of Dutch ancestry. His father and grandfather were both independent pastors outside of the Church of England. He was raised with a strict adherence to the scriptures. In his father's and grandfather's studies, Charles pored over their books. Fox's Book of Martyrs and Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress were his early reading. Despite knowing intellectually that Christ died for our sins, Charles was so aware of his shortcomings that he could not believe that it applied to him. He asked many different preachers the same question, How can I get my sins forgiven? No one provided an answer he understood. But on January the 6th, 1850, everything changed. Fifteen-year-old Charles was headed to church during a snowstorm that Sunday morning when he ducked into a primitive Methodist chapel to escape the snow. The congregation was sparse, and a lay preacher was filling in for the pastor. His text was, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. Charles loved to tell the story. And here is Charles Spurgeon's story. He did not even pronounce the words rightly. But that did not matter. There was, I thought, a glimmer of hope for me in that text. The preacher began thus. This is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now looking don't take a deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It is just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. When he had managed to spin out about ten minutes or so, he was at the end of his tether. Then he looked at me under the gallery, and I dare say, with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. Just fixing his eyes on me, as if he knew all my heart, he said, Young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did, but I had not been accustomed to have remarks made from the pulpit on my personal appearance before. However, it was a good blow, struck right home. He continued, And you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you don't obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. I saw at once the way of salvation. I had been waiting to do 50 things, but when I heard that word look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could almost have looked my eyes away. There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness rolled away, and in that moment I saw the sun, and I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith that looks to him. Oh, that somebody had told me this before. Trust Christ and you shall be saved. Yet it was no doubt all wisely ordered, and now I can say, Ever since my faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Charles Spurgeon did indeed keep looking to Jesus and went on to become the most famous preacher of his generation, ministering in London's Metropolitan Tabernacle. Under the reflection section of this January 6th reading about Charles Spurgeon, it says, Raised in a Christian family, 
Charles Spurgeon knew all the facts, but it wasn't until he was 15 that God saved him. Regardless of your knowledge and background, there has to be a moment in time when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and you look to Jesus for salvation. Have you looked? In the verse from Isaiah 45:22, Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God, there is no other. And now I want to read you part of a sermon that Charles Spurgeon gave many, many years ago, of course, and the title of the sermon was Confirming the Truth of Christ. Do you know what Bible the wicked and the worldly man reads? He does not read this Bible at all. He reads the Christian. There, says he, that man goes to church and he is a member. I will see how he lives. I will read him up and down. And he watches him and reads his conduct. If he is bad, he says, religion is a farce. But if he is a man who lives up to it, he says, there is something in religion after all. It is the duty of every child of God to so live that he may confirm the witness of Christ. We should labor to do in all the common things of daily life. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And that verse comes from 1 Corinthians 10:31. Some men think that religion lies in great things. It does not. It lies in little things. Take any day of our lives. We eat, drink, rise in the morning, go to bed at night. Nothing very particular about the day. Our life is made up of little things. And if we are not careful of little things, we shall not be careful of great ones. If we do not take care of little things, the great ones will go wrong. Oh, may you have grace to so live that the world may find no fault in you. And if in little things they see an exactness and almost precision, and too much precision will be better than the looseness of the morals of some, then they will say, there is something in religion. That man's life has confirmed it in my mind because he lives up to it. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, say within yourself, I must so live and die that I may confirm the witness of Christ. I must so walk amongst my friends and neighbors that they will see there is a truth and a power in religion. And let me warn you not to undertake this in your own strength. You will want fresh power from on high from the Holy Spirit. Get a fresh supply of grace at the throne. I did not know my high standing before, but I know now that I am a confirmer of the truth. Lord, help me to so live that there may never be any flaw in my conduct, never any vile word proceeding out of my lips. Make me to so live that I may confirm the truth. Lord, help me confirm the witness of Christ. And this is adapted from Confirming the Witness of Christ, a sermon by Charles Spurgeon. What does confirming the truth of Christ look like where you are today? What is your purpose in life? Charles Spurgeon also said we should make God's glory your purpose in life. Now I want to read you from Henry Blackaby's devotional book, The Experience Day by Day with God, the March 6 reading. Why does it matter how Christians behave? Aren't we being phony when we try to act perfect all the time, trying to fool others into thinking Christians are perfect? There is a good reason for Christians to act with integrity. It's because of who we represent. There are people who will never know what Christ is like unless they see Christ in you. If you are a Christian, you take Christ with you everywhere you go. When you are at school or at work, Christ is with you. Whether you are out with your friends or speaking to a stranger, Christ is with you. Whenever people meet you, they also meet Christ. 
How tragic for a non-Christian to see Christ in you and be unimpressed. If you don't represent Christ to others in a way that honors His name, some people might never know what He is really like. That's why it's so important that you always represent Christ as He is. Others will be attracted to Christ when your life shows that He is loving, forgiving, patient, and kind. Only way some people will ever believe God is forgiving is when they experience Christ's love as you forgive them. There are many people around you who need to receive Jesus, and you're the one who can introduce them to Him. Have people been impressed with the Christ they have seen in you? That was Henry Blackaby's words from his The Experience Day by Day with God devotional. Since this may be the only chance I ever have to talk to some of you, I've been thinking about what God would have me to say to you this morning. I'm sure some of you listening live in rest homes, some live in nursing homes, maybe some even live in prison. Some of you may be atheists, some doubters, some of you are Christians. Everyone listening has their own story, their own spiritual journey, or perhaps their lack of a spiritual journey at all. However, there may be some who do not believe the Bible is true and don't believe in God or His Son, Jesus Christ. And perhaps some of you have family members who are non-believers. However, the first part of my message today is for those of us who are believers. I heard Erwin Lutzer say just this week, Accept your situation as from the hand of God. Have you accepted your situation as from the hand of God? If you are to accept where you are today as a place where God has placed you, are you bringing Him glory in that place? In 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In Michael and Sharon Rustin's one-year Christian history book, they point out, If you think of God glorifying Himself in history, and you say, Where in all of history has God most glorified Himself? The answer is that He did it at the cross of Jesus Christ, and it wasn't by delivering Jesus from the cross, though He could have, and yet that's where God is most glorified. What cross are you carrying today? Did you realize you can bring glory to God in your affliction, in prison, in your assisted living facility? in your pain, your sorrow, or in your trials. In whatever situation you are in right now, this very day, you can bring God glory. How is this possible? It is only possible by trusting the Lord and getting power from His Holy Spirit to give you a peace that the world cannot give you and the world cannot take away from you. Not long before Jesus was crucified, He gave His disciples a new commandment found in John thirteen thirty four. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. What does love look like for you in your situation? How can you demonstrate love to others who live with you, or live around you, or those who work around you, or those who visit you? You know, you can be a channel of blessing right where you are. Ask God to help you act lovingly towards everyone, even when it is difficult. You can live the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ every day, but you cannot live and love and confirm the truth of the gospel if you do not have the Holy Spirit. You will never be able to do this in your own strength. I heard Erwin Lutzer tell us what he does every morning before he gets out of bed. He prays, Dear Lord, glorify yourself at my expense, because nothing else matters. One favorite prayer of mine comes from the God's Minute prayer book, 
and the June 8th prayer was written by James Boyd, and it says, Fill us with the Spirit of Jesus, that all our speech and conduct may reveal His life in us, that we may constantly glorify Thee. Trust that God is on your side, and that His grace is sufficient to meet your every need. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe He died for your sins? Do you know anything about how He lived in those few short years He lived on this earth? People we come in contact with will only see Jesus in us if we are like Jesus. I hope you are not a bitter person. Jesus was not bitter, and the way he was treated gave him a lot of reasons to be bitter. In Philippians 1.27, the Apostle Paul says, Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Is your conduct worthy of the gospel of Christ? Do the people you work with, the people you live with, Your relatives, your friends, and your neighbors know you are a Christian? Live nearer to God. Live in such a way that people will know you have been with Jesus, and not only been with Him, but that you have learned from Him. We all need to live the golden rule. Do unto others as we would have them do unto us. We don't know what lies ahead, but God does. God is on His throne. He is in control, and God is good. He knows everything that is going to happen. We can trust Him to use everything for good. Now, I'm not saying that everything is good, but it says we can trust Him to use everything for good, for our ultimate good. Near the beginning, I mentioned this was a two-part message, and now I'm getting into the second part. I would like to share something I read in the stories from the life of Billy Graham, and it's a story that he recounts about Albert Einstein. In January 2000, leaders in Charlotte, North Carolina, invited their favorite son, Billy Graham, to a luncheon in his honor. Billy initially hesitated to accept the invitation because he struggles with Parkinson's disease. But the Charlotte leaders said, we don't expect a major address. Just come and let us honor you. So he agreed. After wonderful things were said about him, Dr. Graham stepped to the rostrum, looked at the crowd, and said, I'm reminded today of Albert Einstein, the great physicist who this month has been honored by Time magazine as the man of the century. Einstein was once traveling from Princeton on a train when the conductor came down the aisle punching the tickets of every passenger. When he came to Einstein, Einstein reached in his vest pocket. He couldn't find his ticket, so he reached in his trouser pockets. It wasn't there, so he looked in his briefcase, but couldn't find it. Then he looked in the seat beside him. He still couldn't find it. The conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. Einstein nodded appreciatively. The conductor continued down the aisle, punching tickets. As he was ready to move to the next car, he turned around and saw the great physicist down on his hands and knees, looking under his seat for his ticket. The conductor rushed back and said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. I know who you are. No problem. You don't need a ticket. I'm sure you bought one. Einstein looked at him and said, Young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. Having said that, Billy Graham continued, See the suit I'm wearing? It's a brand new suit. My wife, my children, and my grandchildren are telling me I've gotten a little slovenly in my old age. I used to be a bit more fastidious, so I went out and bought a new suit for this luncheon and one more occasion. You know what that occasion is? This is the suit in which I'll be buried. But when you hear I'm dead, I don't want you to immediately remember the suit I'm wearing. I want you to remember this. I not only know who I am, I also know where I'm going. He knows where he is going. 
I know where I am going, but the question is, do you know where you are going? There is a 100% chance we will all die. No one will escape death. And every day I look in the newspaper and it seems so many people are dying at younger and younger ages. Do you know where you are going? Do you know where you will spend eternity? Do you know which way you are headed? In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You are either on the road to heaven or on the road to hell. Which road are you on? Can people tell you are on the road to heaven? Or do the people who know you think you might be on the road to hell? If you are living like someone on the road to heaven, you are probably confirming the truth of Christ and bringing glory to God. But if you are unsure of where you are going, listen to these words from Jesus as recorded in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. I know that I am going to heaven, and I want everyone to go there too. In Romans 10.13, Paul says, Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you have not, please call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Don't stay on the road to hell and perish. Call on the Lord right now. That is your only hope for today. In closing, I'd like to read the words of one of my favorite hymns written by B.B. McKinney, Let Others See Jesus in You. While passing through this world of sin and others your life shall view, be clean and pure without, within. Let others see Jesus in you. Your life's a book before their eyes. They're reading it through and through. Say, does it point them to the skies? Do others see Jesus in you? What joy twill be at the set of sun in mansions beyond the blue. To find some souls that you have won, let others see Jesus in you. Then live for Christ both day and night. Be faithful, be brave and true, and lead the lost to life and light. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. I leave you today with this verse, which is the last part of Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Make God's glory your purpose in life. Thank you for listening. While passing through this world of sin And others your life shall view Be clean and pure without within in you let others see Jesus in you let others see Jesus in you keep telling the story be faithful
a book before their eyes they're reading it through and Does it point men, women, boys, and girls to the skies? Do others see Jesus in you? Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Telling the story, be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. Listening to Hope for Today, brought to you each Sunday morning by Carol Pharmacy. We hope the message today has helped and encouraged you. If we can ever help you with your prescriptions, over the counter medications, or vaccines, we hope you will come into our family owned and operated independent pharmacy, where outstanding customer service is our goal. 